IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we respond to mail sent by you, the IndieCast listener. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He really wants to give you a PS5 for real this time, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, at, at the risk of alienating a nation of like 1.4 billion people, uh, I just got to say, at this current moment, Jaipur, India, not an IndieCast town. We know it. We very rarely say what isn't an IndieCast town, but if you're trying to hack not one but both co-hosts of IndieCast... Yeah, you're 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 on you're you're a bit on the shit list. Yeah, so Ian, <laughs> your Twitter account was hacked. Yeah, on what, a day was, we were supposed to promote IndieCast. Like, damn, they really hit us where we live. Exactly. The uh the terrorist won uh <laughs> in the short term, but they will not win in the long term. You were hacked. Um someone tried to hack me. I I, I got a email from Twitter saying that uh we have a password change request. And you actually told me that you were hacked right before that, so I, I was able to, uh, you know, ignore that email. But uh, there were a couple music writers. <laughs> yes. Last week. Yeah, our our pals Chris Payne and Chris Deville got hacked. So I was yeah. It, it, it was cool because like you know I was able to email them and like to ask like hey what have you guys done. Uh, and like I got routed to like an actual person at Twitter who helped me. Uh, expedite this you know so if you're if you're not like a big wig like myself man you might just be flailing for a couple of days but you know like look it sucked i get hacked um it was annoying but also like i knew that i knew i knew it was just gonna be like a straight up like ps5 thing for like two days and those two days where I didn't go on twitter i'm like well there's no point i don't want to see what this person is doing and i know i can't log in I actually felt a, like a, this relief, you know, like it, it was almost like having like a you were sick, liberated. Yeah, it was like almost like having a sick day from work where like, you know, you're violently ill for maybe like an hour. But like the rest of the day, you can just kind of sit in bed and like just not do anything and not feel obligated to do anything. I mean, there's a really bad lesson here in this in terms of how I interact with Twitter where I could get hacked by someone across the globe who wants to use my account to sell PS5s. And I actually had a pretty good day otherwise. Well, and do you think that this person actually improved your Twitter feed? Because, <laughs> you know, you're not normally offering free uh, PS5s. And and now and now you were. And, like, people, I, I, it seems like some people thought that you were actually going to hook them up with, with a console. That was the weirdest part about it. Like, for because there are people who, like, actually know me who were, you know, apparently DMing me saying, like, hey, dude, I could really use a PS5, hook it up. And it's, like, I've been pretty clear uh, on my Twitter in the past that, like, I don't own anything uh, past a PS3. So maybe I need to, like, burnish my brand if people think I'm really out here, like, selling PS5s and using these heart and smile emojis. I don't know. I, I just think people were disappointed that you they want the hacker back. They want that <laughs> person offering PS5s. They you know, the guy who's just talking about email recommendations, like, yeah, that guy's fine, but we want the person who is gonna give us a video game console. Give us something um, we can use, you know? <laughs> exactly. News you can use. That's what Twitter should be for. It's interesting because okay, so I wasn't hacked this time, but I my Twitter was hacked last year. Mm. And uh, I was hacked. I think I talked about this before, but I I, I got a DM from Tom Bryan, uh, the uh, the critic over at Stereo Gum. Yeah, he sent me a DM. I'm like, oh great, Tom Bryan is DMing me. It's exciting, and I stupidly click a link, and then I was hacked. Um, so there's like this weird semi regular hacking of music critics going on. I yeah. wonder. Is this Vladimir Putin? Is he behind this? God. Is he trying to censor? Uh, American music critics? Uh, uh, <laughs> is, is this like a disfor- disinformation campaign being waged by the KGB uh, on the music critic community? I, I'm, I'm just asking questions here. I'm not making accusations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's clear that we are, we wield way too much power and someone is trying to keep us in check, you know. some so There are just some trends that, uh, you know, the global community does not want to see hashed out. 
Yeah, Putin is anti-hashing trends. Mm. He's trying to silence American music critics. We are, we are straight uh, glass-nosed. He's trying to uh, basically turn the public against us by uh, appearing to offer them PS5s. And then but not them delivering. That's the exactly. key. <laughs> this undermines American credibility in the field of music criticism. Putin, I don't know what his endgame here is, but... Uh, there's something nefarious going on. I'm trying to think of like Russian bands. Uh, are there any like Russian? Gork- I, I just remember like Gorky Park was the one that Gorky was brought Park. up on Wayne's World. Pink Shiny Ultra Blast is a very good uh, Russian shoegaze band, but otherwise, uh, was Tattoo from Russia? That, I want to say the... they were. Okay, they would probably be the biggest. Yes, they are definitely Russian. So, All the things she said, man, that's some fucking bangs. There you go. So yeah. Tattoo. Uh, Putin is trying to restore <laughs> tattoo to uh, you know the heights of indie pop fame by discrediting American music critics. I'm just going with this again. I'm not making accusations. I'm ma- I'm asking questions. Yeah, you, you're here. gonna fuck around and get us like a hundred million dollar Spotify deal at this rate. Uh, I love it. See, this is what you have to do. Uh, <laughs> this is investigative journalism. Maybe one of our listeners out there can dig deep into this and yeah. they can report back. Um, so you and I have now seen the same tour yes in about the space of a week you saw manchester orchestra and foxing last week yeah last sunday or something like that yeah yeah last sunday i saw them uh this week on tuesday Mm. so this is interesting because you know we don't often see the same tour in you know such close proximity so i felt like we should talk about this a little bit i mean i think we both enjoyed the show of course yeah it's a good show um Weirdly, I had never seen either band before this week. They neither band ever plays Minneapolis. I was that actually seems talking impossible. To, I was talking to Andy Hull about this of Manchester Orchestra, and he was like, "Yeah, we haven't we haven't played Minneapolis in a long time." I know on uh, their last uh, tour, uh, you know, back in the late 2010s, they did not play here, um, but they played here on this tour, and they were rapturously received at First Avenue. Um, really good show. Foxing, I thought was great. Obviously, they were the opening act, so they played for about 45 minutes. And uh, it seemed to me like they were just getting warmed up. I would have loved to have gotten another 45 to an hour out of them. Uh, but they were great. And I hope, you know, I don't know what the state of Foxing is right now. Are mm-hmm. they going to be touring more in the future? I don't know. I hope to see them again as a headliner, though. I thought they put on a really good show. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing I've, like, talked about with Foxing before is that a lot of bands from that era, that era, like I'm talking about, like it happened 15 years ago, um, you know, they, they a little bit of hit or miss live act, but, like, Foxing is, like, always delivered. And, um, you know, it really bummed me out that they weren't able to really, uh, you know, parlay uh, draw down the moon into like a headline tour yet. Also, they go on tour with Manchester Orchestra a lot. They refer to them as kind of like their big brothers. I'm sure it's a very financially um, beneficial tour to go on. I hope they do a headliner next because it's been it's been a very long time since I've seen them like headline headline because I've seen a couple co-headliners with them during the Near My God tour. They're just such a good live act. Um, and yeah, seeing 30 some odd minutes of it, you get a sense of it, but, um, you know, to play to their own crowd, to play in like a venue that's maybe a, a bit smaller, um, I really, really hope they're able to do it. But of course, you know, in their history, something bad happens to them every single time they go on a headlining tour. So uh, I, I just, if they are going on tour, I just want them to be safe this time around. I also wish they could be on like, one of those bands that's like put on like the bottom of the festival like thing so they can make enough money to not have to like ask themselves, can we continue doing this every album? Well, I was going to say, you, you talk about them doing a headline, headlining tour and playing a smaller room. I actually like them playing in a bigger room. I, I, I think for the, for the record they just put out, it suited them. It, yeah. Especially being with Manchester Orchestra. Manchester Orchestra, such a big sounding, you know, epic rock band. And, mm. and, they, and they brought in their set and it was, it was really cool. But with Foxing, I was almost like, man, I wish I was seeing this outside at a festival. I mean, just because the, the scope of that music, it yeah. just... I think is suited for that, uh, especially you know Connor, uh, lead singer, great, lead, great front really, person, and it's 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 it made me think about how rare it is now to see a band 
where you just have a singer, you know, a person. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, someone who is actually being a performer or being a front person, not playing an instrument and being out there and engaging an audience. That that's really become a lost art. You don't see that in a lot of bands anymore. Um, and it's always great to see. I like that. I, I I like the idea of a person just getting out there, you know, revving up the audience. Mm-hmm. You're shaking it a little bit. You're, uh, you know, you're throwing yourself on the ground. It, 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 I love that, and that was a really cool yeah. thing about their show. Uh, yeah. And breaking news: IndyCast Pro Foxing. Um, do we want to talk about South by Southwest because that's coming back? It, I guess. I mean, like, I, I, I'm like kind of surprised that it's coming back. Like you brought up in like our little like pre our, our little pre uh, IndyCast huddle the fact that. Oh yeah, let's, can we talk about South by Southwest? And like, I remember two years ago, like aside from the NBA getting canceled, like that was the first thing that made me realize, oh shit, this like pandemic is like not going away, and it's like right. going to, like have real impact. Now that it's back, I mean, <laughs> like no offense, like I I, I don't want to like step on toes here because if like South by Southwest wants to fly us out to like do some sort of like, you know, speaker type thing or TED talk. Like I'm totally down for it. Um, but otherwise, I mean, who is South by Southwest for in 2022? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that too. I mean, I haven't been there in about a decade. No, I, I'm wrong. I was there about five years ago. Really? Uprock Up sent me there. Um, and I was, I was too old. To, uh, to go, I, I it wasn't my choice to go, and and, and I was fine doing it, um, but I, I'm like I'm, you know, I was Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. I'm like getting too old for this shit, you know, <laughs> at that point. Um, but it, I was just thinking, you know, before we went on because we were talking a little bit about South by Southwest, and I remember, um, yeah, I went two or three times in the late aughts and early 2010s, and. Back then, it was common for outlets to do scene reports from South by Southwest. That you yeah. know, they'd send music writers out, and you would see bands, and you'd be writing about it. I don't think people do that anymore. Do outlets still do that? I, oh I, I mean, God. it's it, it's been a minute since we've had a South by Southwest, so my memory's a little foggy on this. I feel like, and I felt this way even at the time when I was covering South by Southwest, that it felt like a little bit of a grift. To yeah. be writing about this, it's totally a grift, and I miss that grift so much. Like back I mean, in, did, like, did you cover South by Southwest? I never covered South by Southwest, which I'm a little dis. I mean, you know, I probably wouldn't have a hell of a lot of fun because I, I've just been told time and time again it's terrible for the bands. Like the music that you hear sucks because like everyone gets like ten minutes to set up to play like a twenty minute set. That being said, I miss the festival coverage grift so much. Like from 2012 <laughs> to 2016, like you could get away with saying like, hey, I want to go to, I don't know, Boise to see Treefort or uh, I want to go to this festival that's happening like, you know, in driving distance in California and you would get paid for it and you could write like a like a bullshit little uh, recap and no one would probably read it, but like there would be a lot of cool pictures. See, I don't think it even goes that late. Like you said to 2016, I feel like I feel like it's more late aughts, early 2010s. And, and this is something, again, that we can blame on social media. I think yeah. the, you know, the, the advent of the social media era it just made the idea of going to a festival in Austin and writing about all these bands yeah. under the guise of like discovering bands. <laughs> I, it just feels like, is this really how we discover bands? I mean, no. not really. I mean, it, it's not like, like wet leg or something. Like they're going to be playing South by Southwest and do a couple shows and yeah. that they're going to become stars. Like, no, they've been hyped on Twitter and yeah. social media for, for a long time before that. Um, but it was a great grip because, you know, when I went, um, you know, ten or so years ago, and I was a younger man. I was a, I was a, I was a rosy-cheeked babe of thirty-two <laughs> years old. Yeah. Um, it was fun. You know, you go to these parties. There's, uh, sometimes there's free drinks, free food. Uh, I ran into Bill Murray at a Jack White show in 2012. I mean, and I also, who has I, <laughs> I also had an extremely awkward encounter with John C. Riley at at the same show. It was like the best celebrity encounter and the worst celebrity encounter uh, within about uh, 20 minutes of each other. Uh, that stuff was fun, but I even at, but again, even at the time, I remember thinking like, who's gonna read? 
yeah. my scene report from you know Stubbs, where I'm seeing the Alabama uh, shakes. You know, like is anyone going to care about this when gritty I'm up and coming band? So. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't need South by South. What we need is CMJ. We if like we're gonna like bring back an industry showcase, we need like the most like indie sleaze like who killed it it's who killed it at cmj at the capture track showcase you know like (laughs) like if indeed we are getting like a 2009 like a late aughts indie comeback like it won't be complete unless we get like like cmj coming back yeah, I'm I'm at Baby's All Right and Porch is <laughs> killing it right now at the show. And yeah. you know, a you know, a reader in Lincoln, Nebraska is going to read that and go, "Oh, if I could only be at CMJ. I got to go to NYU." Yeah. I go, if only. I mean, come on. Like no one yeah. no one is, is yeah. interested. Well, in society that, has progressed past the need for CMJ. No, I want CMJ. Like I I I think it was just, like we can get a lot of content out of that. So therefore, it's a it's a net positive. And again, like if you're a music writer and you're in your in you're in your twenties and you can talk someone into sending you to South by Southwest or anywhere because, for that matter. <laughs> yeah, and, and the editor for some reason feels like, oh yeah, I I want a story uh, about you know the Doritos showcase at at uh, uh, you know the Alamo Draft House or yeah. whatever. Uh, do it. I mean, because it because it is a great grift. Yeah, Austin's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. um, and I'm happy for Austin too. Ho- hopefully, yeah. this helps their yeah. local economy. Although, you know, they got a ton of money down yeah. there, don't they? Austin's doing pretty yeah, well. Yeah, Austin's doing pretty all right. Also, like we need people to document the next like Salem Fader Ford event because they're still talking about that like twelve some odd years later. You, you never know like what the, when the next uh, Salem's going to happen. That's really what South by Southwest is for. Yes, yeah, I wrote a ten-year appreciation <laughs> yeah. of that performance that ran, I think, the day South by Southwest got shut down for for COVID. So yeah. I like to feel like maybe my uh, remembrance of the Salem Fader Four performance in some way brought about the cancellation of South by Southwest in twenty twenty. Yeah, it seems like a, it seems like a pretty clear cut uh, cause and effect there, Steve. <laughs> that might I might be that might be overly grandiose on my part, but I'm gonna take uh, yeah, you're, credit you're, for that anyway. You're just asking to get hacked again. Uh, that's true. Um let's get to our mailbag segment. Yes. Which happens to be also the meat of our episode because we're only we're only listening <laughs> well yeah don't get used to it because the meat will <laughs> Usually be at about the 40-minute mark, but yeah. we're bumping it up this week because we're only doing all mailbag uh, this week because we have a lot of letters. We have a great uh, audience. They they want to engage with us, and, and we're yeah. extremely lucky and fortunate and grateful for that. Um, and if you want to reach out to us with a question or a comment, you can hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Um, keep them coming. It's great to hear from you all. Uh do you want to read our first letter today, Ian? <laughs> yes, I do. So I, I love this title, like letter one, how to talk about music. Uh, yes. Yes. Very, very targeted. Um, so this comes from Paul from Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, first time, long time. So Paul from Erie asks, uh, he wants to know how to talk about music without being condescending. Oh, you oh, wouldn't boy. know how to talk about music without being condescending. Um, you, you, you might be barking up the wrong tree here, Paul, but we'll see. <laughs> Let's hear what Paul has yeah, to say. Yeah, I'm honored he thinks that we'd be experts on that. Anyway, uh, Paul, uh, I will be turning 40 years old next month and haven't figured out talk, how to talk to people about music. As a teenager, I recall and am reminded of times of where I have talked about music with my girlfriend, now wife, and has acted as a music snob. I vividly recall discussing the Deftones' White Pony and asking her what she liked about the album, which immediately turned her off from discussing the subject further. <laughs> oh, man. Again, I don't know if this is a hacker. Um, this seems like a fishing expedition here. Uh, nowadays, I work in an office setting, and the topic of music comes up periodically. I'm very interested in discussing favorite bands, albums, genres, etc., but can become overbearing. Recently, a coworker stated he played in a band, and I asked him the style. He stated rock. While thinking that's pretty generic, I inquired further and asked if he plays covers to gauge his interest. His response was pop music. Frustrating for me, probably irritating for him. So Paul really enjoys Oof. discussing music with friends and coworkers, 
But stating you listening to enjoy listening to music is much different than debating the best album from an artist. So Paul wants to know if there are any tips on how to navigate these conversations. We have now become Miss Manners. So I just want I want to know more about the scenario where Paul from Erie, Pennsylvania is talking to his wife about White Pony. Yeah. And he's <laughs> and he's grilling her about like what do you like about it? Do you like the production? Do you appreciate that Deftones went into an artier direction with this record? What do you think about Back to School being the first song on Spotify? Is that like bullshit? What about Mini Maggot? I mean, like these are the things that every marriage has to hash out before it, you know, before it eventually moves to a, you know, a different stage. Do you feel before we go to bed, I know you want to go to sleep, but before you go to sleep here, can what do you think about the fact that Deftones were were possibly separating themselves from the new metal community by embracing a more sort of softer aesthetic direction? Do you feel that <laughs> Deftones in a way felt that they were superior to the other people in the in the new metal? Oh, you are falling asleep. Here, I'm going to wake you up. Yeah. Uh, I need to <laughs> I just love the scenario. Yeah. Um, I don't have a good answer for Paul because, and I think, because you and I were talking about this, I think we, we, we actually are on the same page with this. I don't like talking about music uh, outside of a podcast format. I mean, yeah. we, you and I are very fortunate because we have this as an outlet. We can talk uh, to each other mm-hmm. once a week, get all our music opinions out, and yes. then we don't have to do it in any other context because the fact of the matter is, and I think Paul was realizing this, and maybe he doesn't want to accept it yet, but most people do not care about music. Nope. It's not <laughs> a passion for them. And if you attempt to talk about it in an informed, passionate way, their eyes instantly glaze over. Yes. And they and they may actually walk away from you in the middle of a sentence if you <laughs> persist in talking about it. And it's just the way it is. And you're the freak for caring about it. Just like Ian and I are freaks too. Like yeah. we're, we're, we're freaks. Yeah. They're the normal people. You're the freak. So uh, you have to acknowledge that I am a freak. I care about this way more than the average person. And while I want to dance, you know, I want to dance. I want to. I want to dance in the sense of showing off my knowledge or, or talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's just not something you can do. I mean, it's compare music to television. Like, how easy is it to talk about? T- TV with a stranger. It's very easy. You can always ask someone, what are you watching right now? They always have an answer. Yeah. It facilitates small talk much easier than music. Because um, not only do people not care about it, if you do find someone who cares about it, they're probably just as opinionated as you are and they have their own taste and they may not have the same taste that you have, which is almost worse than yeah. talking <laughs> to someone who doesn't care about music. So I don't know. Am I overly pessimistic here no. I mean, is it possible because right like you can't talk about it really people are like disappointed how li- like little i want to talk about music like outside of the setting of twitter i mean like there is no reason at all for someone like me to be on twitter except you know to give away playstation 5s and to discuss with people who have a very similar uh realm of knowledge as myself because like in real life like I work in an office setting, you know, most of the time the music in like the that gets played in a, in the public rooms are like it's ex- almost exclusively like Queen, Fleetwood Mac and Taylor Swift. I stand to gain nothing by offering my opinion, but if I bring up say Love is Blind, uh oh my god, we can get so much conversation out of that. Um likewise with like the people I know in real life who like still follow music, but um, you know, maybe not the style of music that I'm into. They can't get as granular as like the people on Twitter. It's even more frustrating because, you know, like nine times out of 10, it's like people who like think St. Vincent is a genius or what have you. And, uh, you know, that, it, you know, cause these are people who like, you know, personally and like, they think, oh yeah, this person cares about music, but it's like, no, like low key, I don't think idols are great. And, Again, I stand to gain nothing from that. So, you know, I, I, I think if Paul's asking for help in this situation, like what to do, what I would say is just be the one asking questions. Oh, what do you think about that? Oh, I'm curious what you're listening to these days. Or, you know what, worst comes to worst, just get into reality television. If like, that, That's going to serve <laughs> you so much better. That is easily the best career move I have made in my current job, which is to never talk about music always bring up love is blind or married at first sight or 90 day fiance. 
I am very ready for us to pivot to that should it come to it. Yeah, I mean, a funny thing about human beings is that they don't like to be told that their taste in music is bad. Yeah. You know, they don't want to have an argument about a band that they like with a person who doesn't like the band that they like. Just the way it is. And uh, again, I wish I had a better answer for you, Paul, because I think this is a sincere question and I understand your frustration. Um, But you can always listen to our show and you can yell at your, uh, you know phone as you're listening to it if when we say something that you disagree with we can we can be your uh, methadone for music conversation i i hope we can provide that service for you uh paul our next letter comes from nathan in nashville tennessee all right and uh, nathan uh he uh in his postscript he thanked me for shouting out nashville music venues so I appreciate that. Yeah, that that, str- I, that struggling music town really needs a leg up. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, a venue like the Bass Benice that's not getting a lot of national okay. shout-outs or the exit in. So I think Nathan right. appreciates a shout-out to the indie rock community in Nashville. So, Nathan, thank you for that. Uh, this letter is about best album closers. It says, probably my favorite thing to look for in an album is a strong closer, especially when I'm listening to an album for the first time. It can feel surreal when it just hits you with an incredible closer. It's like an enthralling story sticking the landing. A recent example of this for me was Gang of Youth's Goal of the Century, a beautiful song that really brought the whole album together. He's talking about Angel in Real Time, which uh, we've talked about on this show. Yep. Great record. Some other memorable standouts are Jimmy Eat World's 23, oh, Thursday's yeah. Autumn Leaves Revisited, and Taking Back Sunday's Slow Dance on the Inside. Yes. This is a this is an Ian Cohen <laughs> uh, fan, uh, Nathan here in Nashville. <laughs> what are some of the most memorable closers for each of you, and are there any otherwise great albums that didn't quite stick the landing with the closer? So, uh, big question here. I mean, this comes up from time to time. We talk about yeah. best track one, side ones. Nathan's asking about the best album closer. Mm. Hard question to answer. Yeah, I mean, it's this is if if you're the type of person who um, you know our previous uh, mailbag uh, reader talked about, like someone who cares about albums and like totally wants to discuss it in public and thinks life is sort of like high fidelity, where you know groups of twelve people or more just sit around t- talking about album sequencing. Like this is one of the main, like, you know, this is like one of the main questions that gets asked because, you know, for an album closer to resonate, it's got to be on an album. Um, and so 23, yeah, to me, that's like the best Jimmy World song. I wrote about that in uh, Up Rock's Best Jimmy World uh, songs piece that I did, I think, last year. But, um, you know, this is such a, it's such a broad question that I almost feel uncomfortable answering it because, I mean, I like Nathan, like the kind of grandiose, like five to seven minute closers that you know, p- take everything to this theatrical uh, conclusion. I also like when bands make that kind of song as the second to last one, but also the, but then the closer is like a song that like rocks kind of harder than anything else on the album. I think examples of that are Modest Mouse, What People Are Made Of, uh, Wolf Parade, This Heart's On Fire, Phoenix, Second to None. Um, and... Those I like as well, but he also asked any great albums that didn't quite stick the landing with their closer. I think I think about this one far less, and it's a way more interesting question to me because, um, yeah, I, I what albums are like totally awesome, but like you skip the closer because it's either like kind of a, a, a skit or just something that kind of ends it on a sour note. Um, I've thought about this one and like the easiest answer to this one, the one that like comes up immediately as the uh, prototype for the incredible album, not a great closer, Good Kid, Mad City. Um, this ends notoriously with a song called Compton, which, you know, is kind of uh, thematically uh, fits with the album, but it sounds like the most anonymous song from like that memory hold Dr. Dre album. It, I, I skip it every time. Uh, to me, it just sounds like a bonus track. Like you almost wish it's a bonus track. Uh, another one, Poor Cow from Peter Bjorn and John's uh, Writer's Block. Notorious Dumb. Wow. What, you don't agree? No, I'm just, uh, I'm amazed that you're going to the Peter Bjorn and John uh, reference here because I, that's just not a band I have thought about in a really long time. That's a Remembering Some Guys yeah. reference right there. I, I mean, I, 
I think it's funny that you called it infamous because is that album like well known at all? Like at this point, like right writer's at- block, absolutely. Like man, if we're talking about like mid, like mid aughts indie rock, uh, you like that one, like to a degree that like most. I mean, I know Young Folks is on that record, yes, which but- is their which is their big hit. But I feel like Young Folks is is memorable. But like any other Peter Bjorn and John song, like if you gave me five song titles and said which one of these is a fake. Peter yeah. Bjorn and John song title. I would I would fail that test. I want to say the week. I want to say that people can talk about writer's block. I really really do. And to, I've like I've had Twitter conversations about how yeah I just skip poor cow terrible song. <laughs> Are they still together? You gotta believe me. Like this, <laughs> you gotta believe me here. Man. I know. Like I believe dying. you. I, <laughs> no, I no, I I am I am not doubting the veracity of that story. I'm just laughing. About people debating. You see, this see you see for our friend Paul in Erie, Pennsylvania. Like, if nothing else, we are telling you to be more on Twitter because of situations just like this. If you That's you will true. go your entire life without meeting a single person who either not only had like owned a copy of Writer's Block, but like has opinions about poor cow. <laughs> Paul was probably bugging his wife about Writer's Block, oh and she's God. like, "Who remembers that album? Who cares about Writer's Block?" And unbeknownst to Paul, people on Twitter are having passionate debates about whether Writer's Block sticks the landing with his final track. <laughs> it seems like the consensus is that they didn't. That uh, poor cow. Which again, if you if you had told me, is a song called Poor Cow or Dumb Cow or Fat Cow, I would not know. I would I would I would get that wrong any day of the week. So there we go. Uh, I feel like I'm learning something here. You're actually making me want to queue up Poor Cow once we get off this uh, episode. Um, yeah, to go back to the you know, the original question about the best album closers, I agree with you. It's it's hard to pick just a couple because, in a way, I feel like most classic albums have a great closer. I mean, that's exactly. part of what makes them a classic because they do everything well. So you could just list all the great classic rock examples, whether it's like Desolation Row on Highway 61 Revisited or Won't Get Fooled Again on Who's Next or Jungle Land on Born to Run. When um, the Levee Breaks. <laughs> when the Levee Breaks, you know, uh, uh, Inner City Blues from What's Going On. I mean, yeah. all of these albums uh, that we talk about being the best albums of all time, they also have great album closers. Um, a recent example for me of an album really ending strong, it's, it, it's kind of a funny ex- example because you were talking about how you know some albums they end with a skit or a spoken word thing and that's yeah. easily skippable. Look for the album with me on the cover. <laughs> but um, Dawn FM, the weekend record, it ends with that Jim Carrey thing at the end where he's talking, uh, he's playing the radio DJ. Mm-hmm. I actually really like that. I, I think it ends the album really well. And this, the actual last song is yeah. Less Than Zero, which is one of the best songs on the record. The weekend generally ends albums really strong. He, he's actually put out like more than a few albums, like where one of the biggest singles is like the last track, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon with him. Sure. Um, in terms, in terms of an album not sticking the landing on the last track, I mean, the example I thought of immediately, and maybe it's because this band has been on my brain for the past couple years, but it was a stupid mop from Vitology Pearl Jam. Um, Although in a way, I feel like they like they're it's not kind tr- of the perfect closer in a way. Well, yeah, it's like a deliberate curveball it's yeah. not like i presumably the poor cow example like where maybe they were trying to do like a like kind of a chill closer uh and just didn't pull it off i mean pearl jam was obviously you know trying to be provocative with this sound collage mm-hmm. that they put at the end of the record other than that i mean I, i'm trying to think of like other examples of like a great record with the last track it's hard it's really really hard yeah, I feel like usually if you, if it's a great record, the last song is good. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just a matter of degrees, whether it's a great closer or merely a good closer. But it's hard to think of like bad closers for mm. great records. Uh, so yeah, I guess writer's block is the definitive answer <laughs> here. We're going to juice the writer's block streaming numbers at the end of this episode. Let's get to our next one. And this, can I just say that this letter... I feel like was major Ian Cohen pandering. Uh, this, this, this next letter, I saw it in the mailbag, and I'm like, I I gotta put it in because I feel like this listener is just pandering to Ian 
You, you say and this after a letter that mentions the Jimmy World taking back Sunday and Thursday album closers. Like, yeah, the Ian people are, are coming out in this episode. But read we love this to letter. see it. Read, read, read this next one. This one's from Pedro in Quito, Ecuador. Um, I think this is the first time we've got an Ecuadorian, uh, new Ecuadorian mailbag. I'm into it. I think so. We've we've had. I think we've had some South America before now. Certainly, I think Latin America we've gotten. But anyway, we'd love to hear from yeah. our international listeners. It's very exciting to think that someone in Ecuador is listening to us. I feel like this band is like really big in internet, like in international markets in a way that we can't really grasp. But uh, my question for you guys is, what do you think of Placebo? Hell uh, yeah, you see? are absolutely right. This is pandering. Are you going to listen to the new album coming out in a month? Uh, new placebo album coming out in a month. At this point, their new music just sounds like a pop rock cash grab. Like they're not even trying to get out of their comfort zone anymore. Anyway, interested to hear your opinions. Pedro V. Oh, Pedro. Thank you for checking in. Like I know where I stand. I, I got to hear what you think. Do you know who this band is, Steve? Well, I, yeah, I know who placebo is for sure. Yeah. I, and I feel like we should maybe just give a little bit of background for those who don't know who this band is. Cause it's not like they're the most famous band in the world, but they're, they're a band from England. They, uh, formed in the, in the mid nineties. Uh, I feel like they reached the peak of their prominence, at least for me in the late nineties during that brick pop boom, they put mm-hmm. out a record in 98 called without you, I'm nothing, mm. um, which has, uh, some of their most famous songs on there. I think they put out, maybe a record or two after that that did okay in America. Black Market Music, yeah. Yeah, but I feel like that is the big record. That's the one, if you go to Half Price Books, you're going to see copies of (laughs) Without You, I'm Nothing. I think that's how I ended up buying it eventually Yeah, because I just kept seeing it for $2. And I'm like, I like, I'll say I love two songs on that record. Uh, The two most famous songs, which are uh, Pure Morning and uh, Every You and Every Me, or Every You, Every Me, uh, which... I can't hear that song without thinking of the opening credits of Cruel Intentions. Great soundtrack. Very, Great soundtrack. very much uh, like, uh, like a time capsule of that excellent moment in pop culture. Do people remember that movie? I feel like that movie's like a little underrated. I, I really like that movie a lot. I think yeah. it's like a great, trashy, but knowingly trashy mm-hmm. teen melodrama. Yeah. Uh, I think it came out in 99. Yeah, 98 or 99. Yeah, yeah Sarah Michelle Geller and uh, Ryan Philippi, mm. uh, Reese Witherspoon, love triangle going on there. Yeah, that's definitely going to get a reboot in uh, in the not in the not too distant future. I really hope so. Yeah, but I hope they don't. I hope they don't detrashify it. I feel like we take these things from the '90s or yeah. the aughts and we make them more respectable, mm. and we 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 don't take the trash with it. You got to leave the trash. I mean, I guess Euphoria now would be the equivalent to something like Cruel Intentions. I've never watched that show. It seems kind of trashy in a good way. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it's very serious. But also in like kind of like a high-minded sort of way where it thinks it's like, you know, kind of prestige television, which maybe it is. I I don't know. Like an A24 version of Cruel Intentions, which I don't know if I want that. No. I I, I like it to be disreputable. Yes. Um, Anyway, we're getting sidetracked here uh, from Placebo. <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, they're a song. They're a band that has those two songs, uh, Pure Morning and Every You, Every Me. Love both of those songs. And I don't really care about the rest. Even that album, Without You, I'm Nothing, I, I, was, I revisited it this week because of this question. And I don't know, I feel like it falls off yeah. outside of those two songs. I, am I wrong? Are you on board with that entire record? Yeah. I, I'm just surprised you don't love Brick Shit House, like on general principle. <laughs> like, um, you know, it's like kind of like a Sonic Youth ripoff named Brick Shit House. What's not to love? Um, so yeah, I mean, I like it in theory, but like when I was listening to it this week, I got halfway through it and I'm like, eh, I'll just go back to Pure Morning. I yeah. like that song. But the thing about like this question is like, you know, we thought you we were getting off track by talking about like the trashification of like cruel intentions and the detrashification. Like, no, this this album is trash. And I mean that in like the most like I, I mean that in the most loving way. Like I discovered this album uh in about nineteen ninety eight. It was my first year of college and you know, this was like the coolest band because, you know, they were a British, which gets you like du- like in it, when I was 18, if you were a British band, you were so fucking cool, regardless of like what oh, yeah. you sounded like. That was like when British bands, like when you heard about them, you 
assume that they would be great. Whereas yes. now you feel like, ah, I'm probably being sold a bill of goods. Yeah. Like back then. Yeah, they would be on the cover of NME and like they'd already be huge in uh, England. And then always the question would be, can they break America? And they would often have like one amazing song or, or a couple amazing songs. So you buy the CD and you'd be like, you wouldn't like the rest of the record, but it wouldn't feel like a total ripoff because at no. least you had those handful of bangers. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're got we're like, you know, probably priming the pump for a menswear gay dad uh, mailbag question in the near future, but you know, menswear is actually a pretty decent <laughs> band. I would say I would put them higher than placebo. Oh, is that man. is that a controversial take? Yeah, that's a very that's and again, for Paul in Erie, Pennsylvania, this is why you need internet friends to talk about music. Um yeah, Placebo, though, like, what I loved about them as an 18-year-old is that they seemed kind of, like, juvenile and, like, angsty and, like, really uncool in a way that, like, Pulp and Blur weren't. Because, you know, I would listen to Pulp and Blur and think I was, like, really cultured and smarter than, uh, you know, like, my friends. And, like, Placebo, like, I mean, they're they're not an emo band by any stretch of the imagination. They're more, like, kind of a dumbed-down glam rock band. But, I mean, you make an album called Without You, I'm Nothing and, like... All the songs are just like these, like whining about like not being loved and so forth. I love that shit. Um, and is Malco the record... is kind of an emo singer. Is I mean, Malco has like an emo yeah, voice, very kind of coheed and Cambria thing going on. <laughs> like, um, but you know, I like I know this album is kind of trashy and dumb. That's what I love about it. Um, however, with Placebo as a whole. Like, not only is Without You, I'm Nothing, like, the best placebo record, it might be the only good one. Uh, Black Market Music has, like, some just really, like, really cringe moments going on. And after that, like, I would only listen to a placebo album if I was reviewing it. I kind of wish Pedro had written more about his own opinion about placebo. Because he's he's suggesting in his email that recently they haven't been very good. That he feels like their recent stuff is pandering to... A pop market. So my sense is that Pedro would disagree with us that that they have a deep catalog. Yeah, Sleeping with Ghosts, man, that's got some bangers. Um, yeah, I, I would. I'd be fascinated to hear the, the discerning placebos fan take on their catalog. <laughs> yeah, you know, because well, I because again, I, I mean, you, I feel like like them more than I do, and yeah. you're calling their album trash. Like for me, it's like again, two really good songs, and then the rest, I. Have yeah. no interest in. Yeah, it's it's probably like to me what like Jet is to you, where it's like you <laughs> you will like really just bug out if you hear uh, you know Are you gonna be my girl or whatever it's called in in a bar or something like yeah. that. But as far as like ranking placebo albums and like whether like how it fits among the catalog, I just gotta bring this up because Brian Malko did a rank your albums piece on Noisy and he put uh, Without You I'm Nothing as number six. That, like, it is just insanity. I mean, I know artists may not have, like, the most, uh, you know, objective view of their own work. But, like, that that, that's, like, you either have, like, that, I I don't even, like, I got, I'm choking on my own rage here, to quote Mo Sislak. Um, Well, and and to put that in perspective, um, this new record that's coming out, which I believe is called Never Let Me Go, comes out March March 25th. That's their eighth record. So, like, when he did that piece, they probably only had seven albums. Yeah. He's saying it's their second worst album. Yeah. On that list. And, I mean, that seems like a very artist thing to do, though. Yeah, of Isn't that like, uh, you know, Patrick Stickles from Titus Andronica saying that The Monitor is, you know, not their best record? I mean, yeah. I feel like if you have one album that is talked about far more than anything else you've done, mm-hmm. Maybe it just breeds some resentment towards that record, and you're like, I want to give these other albums some shine because no one else will. So that I'm guessing that that was the, uh, or or maybe Monkle's just insane. You know that that's the other theory there. I'll um, say this one last thing though, if like we're if you're wondering why the fuck we're talking about placebo uh, in 2022, they're playing the Greek Theater in L.A. in this upcoming tour, and that's like a. Five thousand plus cap venue. Yeah, but again, I, I I always bring this up when you talk about acts in Southern California. Yeah, that's the one place that they could do that. Absolutely, I, they're, not, they're not playing five thousand seaters in Minneapolis, oh, or no. maybe they would. I, I'm I'm gonna put. I would bet money. I would get on DraftKings if there is a <laughs> category for this for placebo. Uh, you know, tours. I would put five grand 
on them not doing that outside of Southern California. Yeah. If you sound even remotely anything like Depeche Mode, like you will play yeah. immediately 1500 cap rooms. And by the way, the opening act for this show, Cold Cave, speaking of like bands that kind of do the trashy uh, quasi goth glam thing. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to go to that show, but like I'm definitely considering it. Man, you have to go for this show, I think. Yeah, may, maybe it's like my version of the South by Southwest grift. I was going to say, this is a scene report that I'm interested in. I don't need to hear about Wet Leg at uh, <laughs> you know the Mohawk Club or whatever that place is called. Uh, but I do want to hear about Placebo at the Greek Theater and all the... Uh, like forty-five-year-olds uh, with their, you know, synth rock uh, clothes on and all that stuff. Um, let's get to our last letter. This is a big one. This is another big one. This comes from Dave in Moore, Oklahoma. Moore with two O's. Mm. Great to hear from Oklahoma on this show. Our Oklahoma uh, community the, of the IndieCast world. Um, Dave asks, or he says, mm. recently you referred to a song on the show as one of the worst of all time. Mm-hmm. Stating that you would leave a CVS if you heard it on well, in the store. That piqued my interest. What do you think are the top three worst songs of all time? Oh, man. Uh, and then he lists his top three. At number three, he has The Lady in Red by Chris DeBerg. I like that song. Yeah. Number two, Kiss from a Rose that, by Seal. Yeah, no. I like that song, too. Yeah, I like that song. It's like your number three and number two, they're both like these melodramatic, lush pop songs. Yeah. I have a weakness for both of them. I, mean, I, I can see that they're overplayed. Maybe you're sick of them. Um, but like Lady in, Lady in Red, yeah, so over the top. Yeah. I, I, I can't resist it. And number one, Dave has Moves Like Jagger by Maroon 5. Solid choice for uh, the worst song of all <laughs> I'm time. I'm not going to lie. I don't think I've ever heard that song. Like I know it exists. I don't think I've ever actually like – maybe I'm sure I've like been around it. Like in a grocery yeah. store, but I've never acknowledged. Oh yeah, I'm listening to Moves Mike Jagger. You know, it, I don't personally hate it because it seems so self evidently uh, stupid. Yeah, that in a way, like, it doesn't annoy me for that reason. Same. Like, the the songs on my list, I feel like they're attempting to be clever or or good, and and they fail mm. completely. Whereas I feel like Adam Levine, when they recorded Moves Like Jagger. You know, did he think that he was recording, you know, Gimme Shelter with this? Probably not. He probably knew that this was just like a silly, fun pop song. Yeah. I think it works on that level. Um, like, what are your three worst songs of all time? And I, I remember what song he was talking about, by the way. And I believe this was me. I said, if I heard Hey Leonardo oh, God. <laughs> at a CVS, I would walk out. Yeah. I think we have to narrow this discussion to like songs that I've heard in a Ralph's or a CVS. Because like this is where I engage with you know, songs that I actively dislike. Otherwise, I don't listen to the radio much. I'm like, I can ignore all this stuff. And, you know, the worst song you've ever heard is probably something your friend made when they showed you, like, their demo in high school or something like that. But um, I want to get the honorable mentions out of the way first because I don't want this conversation to end without people kind of knowing how I feel about All Star. Like, I people really or all star in one week like this reminds me of like 97 98 like when I was still yeah. like that like I fucking hate those songs and I I'll I'll allow people to like it ironically but like please don't tell me that these are good songs which one is worse would you say uh I would go with all star that's worse really uh, I would yeah. say one week because all star um, is a song at this point, I don't even know how I feel about that song because I've heard it so many times. Um, it doesn't make me, it doesn't irritate me though, the way the songs that I pick do. Okay. One Week though is a pretty irritating yeah. song. I'll also me. put um, No Doubt's Hey Baby. Like, it takes a <laughs> lot for me to hate a song with Bounty Killer on it. Um, this one I don't hear a lot Black Eyed Peas, Where's the Love? Um, this is like from their first era, their first era where they stopped being like, you know, a breakdancing B boy crew and like started making songs about like, you know, curing the world's ills. Your Body right. is a Wonderland. No fucking, like, I can't believe that's not even top three. That's how much I despise the three songs that I'm going to talk about here. And it's funny because all of our songs, I've seen your list. All these songs are from roughly the same period. Yes. These are all late 90s, early 2000s yes. songs. So 
this is, I guess, speaking to our generational biases. These are songs that you and I have heard many times. Against our will, yeah. In a way, like if we were older, maybe we would say like American Pie or something would be yeah. uh, our, our yeah. Most American Pie like... really was the one week of its era. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so um, we both like we both mentioned Hey Leonardo. Uh, yeah, just that's e- the worst. Everything that like everything that I just hate about that era, like the the dumbass, terrible joke, referential lyrics, that like smarmy alt rock production, and like the thing that really trips me out about this song is that blessed union of souls the rarest of beasts the two hit wonder and their other song was this like maudlin piano ballad i believe which was about like solving racism in america what a fucking strange career this band i know they have this yeah exactly it's this very earnest ballad and then they do this stupid novelty song referencing the star of titanic because that's what leonardo dicaprio was at the time yeah i i I just hate the um (laughs) i hate it so much there's like a you know there's sort of like this um trying to think of the right word buzzfeed list set to music or some shit like like, only 80s kids will remember this it feels very desperate too. Yeah. The idea too that of you know the conceit of this guy comparing himself to Leonardo DiCaprio mm. and saying like, "Well, I'm not him." But when you do know, we get she, to hear the woman side of this? Story? She likes me for me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if, if Leo in '97 picked up on your girlfriend, you'd be dropped in a second, and you should be. As a matter of fact, a lot of these songs that I have on this list are about like a guy who's trying to like speak on behalf of like a woman who either doesn't want to date him or like yeah right. I, I, didn't, I didn't quite realize that that's a yeah the insecure guy who is uh like the wife guy the insecure wife guy <laughs> or insecure girlfriend guy who's like a little too appreciative that he has a girlfriend or a wife it, that's like maybe the worst genre of music there is. like no one wants to hear that it's like dude keep it to yourself do you, you do don't you, want to hear it. Do you do you want to talk about like your next one or do you, let let let's let's all t- Hey Leonardo was my number one. Too. Okay, same. And, and so yeah, we're in agreement on that. Like I I'm more curious about the rest of your list. Okay, like, you're number two. I want to hear your explanation for your number this, two. This one is kind of sort of thematically not. It's a little bit of like the the other side of the same coin. Um, there's something called the Power Pop chat that's happening on Twitter. I'm not part of it, but. I know that like certain writers on like certain writers or band members are in it, and they all love Delamitri's role to me. Um, yeah, well constructed song. It's catchy. I'll give it that. Um, it like I, the reason I put this ahead of Your Body Is a Wonderland, same sort of style, is that like John Mayer kind of knows that he's playing this song to like hit on your girlfriend or whatever. Delamitri's like the kind of guy who like just shows up to a party with an acoustic guitar, just like, oh, I, I'm just going to bang out a song here. Wait, like, wait, wait, wait a second. Is Delamitri a guy or a band? I, th- I thought it was a band. Wait, is there, a, is there you, an wait, actual? I didn't even think about that possibility. Holy I mean, shit. There's, there's not a guy named <laughs> Are, are you serious? Guy Della Beach. Holy shit. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's a band. I don't oh my think there's a guy. God. I thought it was a dude named Dell. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Del the Funky Homo Sapien, yeah. Del the wow. Funky and Del Mitri. I, I mean, of Amitri, like De, like De La Soul. Oh my! This is why we're not in the Power Pop chat. But I'm I'm almost positive that it's a. I don't. No, think it's, it's a, a band. Guy. There's not. A, oh my fucking god! Like I, 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 I like never been this blown away. <laughs> I, I just love the idea of a guy. Oh named my god! Maybe 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 I'm just like gonna listen to the song differently now. But like. This song right here is just like Delamitri talking about like how he's going to... Okay, the band, the guy, Delamitri, dude, we're just going to assume it, they're one and the same. Like, just saying like, hey, you know, your man ain't shit, come like hang out with me. And um, it's presented in this really smarmy kind of like nice guy style of music. Um, and... I, like I just don't know how you could listen to this song and not want to punch this person in the face. Like it is just like this person who will creep up on your girlfriend, just like try to be like insinuating themselves, like, hey, you know, like you know, like is your life everything you thought it could be? Like, uh, I, I, there's just the the presentation of it. Like I would rather have it be like a Motley Crue or Pantera type song where it's just like very overt about its intentions, but. Um, 
Yeah, I, Roll to I, me is almost like a new metal title. I mean, that could be like a Limp Bizkit. I guess I'm thinking about the song Rollin'. And, but like Roll to me <laughs> could be in the same yeah, genre the, of, of song. I mean, to me, like, this isn't my favorite song, but I, I mean, the worst thing I would say about it is that it's a harmless song. Like, it just seems like fun radio candy to me. I actually like the Delamitri song, mm. uh, The Last to Know. I think oh that's first hit. them. I was about to say that is that him? No, it's them. They're a band. Yeah, yeah. I think that was their first hit. I like that song more than this one, but I don't mind this song. Yeah. So I would dispute this uh, on your list. My number two, I think, is indisputably terrible, and it actually rivals "Hey Leonardo" as my most hated song, and that's "Follow Me" by Uncle Cracker. Oh man, uh, this song is so. I mean, you want to talk about smarmy? Uh, this is the smarmiest song made by a guy who has a career because of Kid Rock. He's oh. a less talented version of, of, of Kid Rock. His name's Uncle Cracker for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Like, you know that that Uncle Cracker has like some insane clown posse type rap rock going on in their past. Like, and that's why they're named Uncle Cracker. I gotta say, I mean, though. You can, get away with, you, can, you can get away with murder in the 90s, man. You call yourself Uncle Cracker? Are you kidding with me? With a K, like, yeah. Kid, with a K, it's like, geez, Louise. And, you know, uh, I don't want to, de- I mean, I don't know if he's flying Confederate flags at his show or anything like mm. that. I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past him because he's, he's garbage. Uh, this song, though, uh. um, not only is it terrible, not only is it smarmy, but it is one of those songs that I feel like fits in any format. Yes. Like you could you could have a country <laughs> radio station on, you could have an alt rock station on, you could have a pop station on. Mm. All these motherfuckers want to play Follow Me by Uncle Cracker. You can't get away from it. So I almost feel like Hey Leonardo is 1A for me, but this is like 1B. It's like a battle in my mind for what song I hate more. Oh, but now now that you mention it, like I did it all summer long by Kid Rock. Has to, like That should have been on my list. I, I'm not done talking about my list, but... All Summer Long is so much worse to me because, like, hey, remember how much you like Werewolves of London and Sweet Home Alabama? That whole kind of pivot to, like, quasi-right-wing racism that Kid Rock did. But, like, that song I feel like I was able to avoid for the most part. Uh, Uh, You know, a song like Follow Me, that has stalked me for over 20 years. I just feel like it was ubiquitous. You know, it came out at a time where I was listening to the radio a lot, so I heard it a lot when it came out. And... It is a song, you know, to go back to our criteria that I will hear at a Walgreens or a CVS or a grocery store. Like, it just pops up because it's just one of those songs. It's like a cross-format hit. Mm. Uh, so somebody out there loves that song. But, yeah, it, it's the worst. All right. Or it's it's the second worst. <laughs> so what, like, what's your last uh, worst song of all time? I feel like this one's going to be controversial. Um Two Princes is a song that again it's it's another it's a, it's a very whiny insecure guy trying to convince some woman like hey drop this zero and get with the hero. Uh, this song does not shut the fuck up. Like every like there is not a single moment where Chris Barron like God bless you, uh, but that like he just does not shut the fuck up the entire song. It's got the worst snare sound I've ever heard in my life. It's got that scat solo and. Here's the thing about, like, Spin Doctors that really stands out in retrospect. Like, we all know, like, the what the like the plot of Two Princes is. They have another song on that album called How Could You Want Him When You Know You Could Have Me, which is right. a different song than Little Miss Can't Be Wrong or Jimmy Olsen's Blues about, like, how Superman is stealing uh, Lois Lane. Like, like, I don't know. How maybe because it just hasn't had much of an influence, but like this is way more of an incel anthem album than Pinkerton, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is a controversial choice. I mean, I think a lot of people hate this song. Um, I had this album when I was a oh, I, I had it too. <laughs> I, I bought uh, Pocket Full of Kryptonite, um, because I think I like the song Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Um, and I don't remember what I thought of Two Princes, that might have been like when my fandom started. <laughs> to go the other direction um but um yeah a lot of misogyny on that record like oh, they yeah. did like, not like women you know uh and also I cleopatra's like, cat the song like what like one of the actual worst songs i've ever heard from like their flop follow-up album i mean i'm i'm a little interested in spin doctors because they came out of that era like where jam bands or tour baby 
Yeah, not just horror tour, but like having actual pop hits like Blues Traveler, uh, uh, Rusted Root, um, you know, that whole generation of bands uh, that you could be a bearded guy in a tie-dyed shirt talking about how you don't like women, and then the radio <laughs> loved it for some reason. You know, like this is just like a two or three year window where that was possible. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that song is garbage. You never need to hear that song again. So yeah, I don't think that's a controversial pick. I think Roll to Me is a more controversial pick. Um, my last pick, I don't know if people remember this song, but it comes out of the same era. Do you remember the song Lullaby by Sean Mullins? Oh, yeah. It's sort of like uh, the the kind of uh, like normcore version of uh, Butthole Surfer's Pepper. <laughs> I would have never described it that way, but I understand what you're saying. How else could you possibly describe it? Because there's like a spoken word verse, yeah. and Sean Mullins has a very kind of growly, raspy voice, yeah. and he's telling this slice of life story in the verse, and then he sings the chorus, and it's this, you know, he says, everything's gonna yeah. be alright. It's like this corny as hell yeah. chorus. Him so and John Mayer just... were like kind of tight back then. Were they? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, Did, did Mullins give Mayer the... Uh, the ups like did he help get john mayer in there and then and then john mayer just leaves sean mullins in the dust he's like mayor's like hey man i've got this record room for squares and i got another album ready to go what do you got and mullins is still just plucking lullaby he's like i don't know this is all i got the deal was that like sean mullins was like not interested in becoming famous but like john mayer was like i've read that's like it that's an actual thing so you can well, read up on I, that. I can't remember where it was published, but yeah, there is story, there are stories about that. I agree with Sean Mullins. He should yeah. have never become famous. Uh, he should have never released this song. <laughs> uh, terrible song. Mm. Are you going to have a defensive lullaby? Am I off track here? I, I, I don't you... like. That's not. I mean, it's. I don't like it, but like, it doesn't bother me for some reason. Like it. Like I don't. I mean, I I don't like that talking and then kind of. that like kind of smarmy acoustic like late 90s sound but i'm like indifferent to it i'm very surprised you have that much negative feeling towards it i think again this comes up because we're picking all these songs they're from around the same era and i i you know i worked at my school paper in the late 90s and we would always listen to top 40 radio for for some reason so these songs are just burned into my consciousness and it just it makes me hate them in a way that I don't hate that Kid Rock song we were talking about all summer long. Because while that is demonstrably worse, probably, than maybe any of the songs we talked about, mm-hmm. that's just an era where I could easily tune that out. You know, I, I and I just I don't know I don't know if I've ever heard the complete all summer long. You know, I think I probably I've heard it on the radio and I was excited because I thought it was Werewolves of London, and then I hear Kid. Rock's voice, and I'm like, that's okay, what makes it worse. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, it, it's well, it's not worse than Hey Leonardo, though. I still think Hey Leonardo, in a death match of of worse songs, I think even that beats All Summer Long. Oh, and I guarantee that. I, I almost guarantee that Blessed Union of Souls is going to catch wind of our conversation. <laughs> well, they can always come on. Yeah, come on, Blessed Union of Souls. We're ready for you. Yeah. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? So, yeah, one of the uh, one of the news items that we didn't get into much here is that uh, Pitchfork Music Festival announced its lineup uh, this past week. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to go this year. The timing's just not great. I was kind of hoping it would be in September again because of the weather. It was nicer and you could watch football during uh, lulls. But uh, one of the bands that I was like, absolutely shocked to see on the lineup was karate who's getting back together for a couple of shows in like chicago la new york uh they're a band from late you know mid 90s late 2000s considered kind of quasi emo but uh they added a little bit of like post rock some jazz in there as well um, I got a text this morning from uh, you know, Pitchfork editor Jeremy Larson saying they seem like the perfect indie cast Venn diagram. Look, I don't know what kind of crowd this band is going to draw uh, on the same day that like, you know, Japanese Breakfast, Lucy Dacus and like Miski are playing. 
That said, um, there's a lot to rediscover with this band. They had they only recently got back on Spotify. There was a, a reissue uh, campaign for them. Um, and this is just like a cool band that um, if you're into the stuff we talk about these days, you know, like Young Jesus or, uh, you know, Caroline, which I talked about in a previous episode. Uh, these guys, and maybe even Black Country, New Road. Karate kind of does that sort of thing. Uh, but more like that lo-fi late 90s sound. It's I, I can guarantee that if you listen to IndieCast, you might be into this band, but you probably haven't discovered them because they've just been really obscured, not on streaming. Now they are. So Karate, check it out. I think you might get into it. So I am going to do some self-promotion this week in Recommendation Corner. I wrote a big feature this week about a band called Goose. That is the next big American jam band. And uh, it's a lengthy feature. I talked to the band. I talked to some people around the band. Ezra Koenig is quoted in my story. Um, And it's a really fascinating, I think, story about a band that is actually really popular at the moment. They just played their first arena show last month. They're going to be playing Radio City Music Hall for two nights in June. They've already sold out a night. They're Uh, playing Red Rocks in August. They've already sold out that show. Um, So talking about the band and also talking about something that I'm really interested in, which is the invisible wall that exists between the indie world and the jam world, because this band is influenced by indie legacy acts, uh, Bon Iver, Fleet Foxes. uh, Again, there's some Vampire Weekend in there. Um, And yet they're not a part of that at all. there's a little bit of goose versus geese talk in my story. Oh, yeah. There might be a feud <laughs> viewing there. Um, but yeah, I just think it's fascinating. And we talk about this on the show right. about bands that get covered and get buzz and bands that don't. And how there's sometimes a disparity that exists between the conversation about a particular band and their actual real world uh, footprint. Mm. And I think goose is a fascinating example of that. So. That's on Uproxx right now. I encourage you to check that out and also check out Goose. I think that they're a really good band. They actually have a record coming out in June that I think is really good, especially for a band that isn't geared necessarily to recording live. Would you say that it's their Billy Breathes? You know, it's funny that you say that because (laughs) I actually do think that there's some parallels to Billy Breathes in that it was also recorded in upstate New York. Uh um, And it feels like a record it doesn't feel Mm. like a band playing live in a studio it it, it feels produced in a way that i think actually brings out something different in the band's music that you don't get from hearing them play live so if you don't know goose read my story i think you'll find it interesting if you do know goose and i think there are some indie cast people out there who do know this band Mm -hmm. check it out i think you'll maybe learn a bit more about their background um Otherwise, that about does it for our episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 